This morning we have Shane Carriage and Victor Channel from the Ulladulla Local Aboriginal Land Council, Alberta Hornsby and Loretta Sullivan from Cooktown, Stella Pahulu Naime from the ACT Tongan Language and Cultural School, and Toa Fulivai Takiari from the Canberra Oceania Community Alliance. The panel is hosted by Ray Johnston, editor at Junkie Australia, host of That Startup Show and Rewired, an Indigenous Science Kids show on NITV. Please join me in welcoming our panel to the stage. Hello friends in my language, Wiradjuri language, uh, and I want to express my deep thanks, Mandanguru, uh, to Tyrone for his beautiful welcome to his country. It's an honour to be here today and have all of these incredible panellists up here to discuss their involvement in this exhibition and also the rather huge topic of the impact of Cook's Voyage. Uh, over the years on Indigenous people from all around the world. Uh, I would also like to acknowledge that this can be quite a painful topic to discuss and I would like to thank the panellists for, for doing this, really. It's, it's often a difficult topic to talk about, so their voices are important and historically have been excluded from these kinds of conversations. So to have a panel like this here today at this exhibition is incredibly important. Uh, so I would like to start by asking the panel a question, but also I would like to invite the audience to ask questions at any time during this panel. If you have a question, simply raise your hand and a microphone will go on out to you. I want this to be a, a really kind of collaborative conversation here today. I'm sure you've got plenty of questions. But tackling that big broader topic of the impact of Cook's journey, what does that mean to you when you think about the impact of Cook on your people? <coughs> How are you? My name is Loretta Sullivan and I'm from Wallambal Betty, which is the Endeavour River in North Queensland. I can only speak by saying that the <coughs> impact that Cook's visit to the Endeavour River, um, has allowed us to find through the journals um, a lot of the history of the Gugiamitha people and it's allowed us to rewrite the script of, we do the reenactment uh, of Cook's Landing every year, we've been doing it for 60 years now and um, it's allowed us to rewrite the, the script and um, so that we had a better understanding of the Indigenous part of Cook's interaction with the Aboriginal people at the Endeavour River. Um, the, there were six meetings between the Aboriginal people and Cook and they were all instigated by the Aboriginal people because Cook wouldn't allow them. Um, Alberta will elaborate on what I'm saying shortly but, um, and correct me if I'm wrong, <laughs> but um, we've been working together on this story for about 10 years and we just believe it's something very special that happened up at um, the Endeavour River. And uh, we just believe that we're setting a pretty good example for the rest of Australia of how we can work together on our shared history. 
and the impact has been, as far as I'm concerned, um, it's been pretty good where we live, but it has given us a really good insight into the things that happened. Thank you. Hi, I'm um, Alberta Hornsby. I would um, like to um, say thank you for this opportunity to talk here as well. I am a Gupiyamithar and um, Ankamuthi woman on my father's side and I'm an Indinji and Kangalira woman on my mother's side. Just by the fact that I have four different cultural connections to country is um, the, uh, the impact, not just, by, not just by Cook, but the impact that came after Cook of uh, dispossession and also the um, very restrictive uh, Indigenous Aboriginal laws that were imposed on our people um, back in the early 1800s. Um, that impact has continued to influence Aboriginal people today and it certainly has in influenced me um, in being more aware of my cultural heritage, to be more aware of um, uh, of looking back to make some sense of the future. Um, and I think uh, most um, Aboriginal people would feel like that today. Um, they often talk about trauma that is experienced after, um, after dispossession being um, dispossession not only from your land but from your family, um, things like the stolen generation. All of these things have had an impact on my life and it was only in 2009 where when I started looking at the journals of Captain Cook and I reluctantly did it but I had to uh, at that time, I had to find another way of dealing with what I was feeling inside. And um, it's taken me 10 years to come to a better understanding of two cultures and how it's merged together today. And that, uh, the reenactment that we perform every year in Cooktown has certainly enlightened me and uh, helped me feel better about my myself as an Indigenous person from Australia because the journals spoke, even though it was written, you know, the first thing that was noted was that my people were, the people from the Endeavour River were naked. They were referred to as Indians and that was such a big thing in the journals and it really irritated me. But then I thought, well, what a wonderful thing to have, you know, to have been naked uh, with no, because of our laws and our cultural customs, we were allowed, we could walk around naked because we had very strong sexual laws. We had very strong 
marriage laws. We had a very strong society that bound people together um, to enable us to be naked. So, and I thought, well, that is something really great that I've learned about um, firsthand. Um, Cook said that we were, um, you know, we were satisfied with our life. And you go to Cooktown, like I said last night, you go to Cooktown, there's everything there. There's nothing that you'd want to, that, that you would want for. Money makes it very hard, but, you know, you've got everything there. Um, Aboriginal people continue to be impacted by what's happened in the past. But, you know, we need, as a human being, as human beings, we need to be acknowledged uh, who we are, our society, that it was not uh, an uncivilised society, that we were not savages. We had very strong laws on land. Um, we had very strong land uh, laws on on preservation and conservation of land. And um, I think that is something that I've learned that has given me strength to um, to be, it's empowered me as an Indigenous person or an Indigenous woman. Thank you. Thank you very much. And uh, my name is Stella Bahuru-Namis and I'm from the ACT Tongan Language and Culture School here in Canberra. And uh, thank you very much for giving us the opportunity to share with you our understanding and our views of the impacts of Cook's exhibition, um, Cook's voyages to the Pacific, but especially to Tonga. I do pay my respect to the Ngunnawal people of this land, giving me permission to speak uh, on their land. <coughs> Cook came over to Tonga, his visits were three visits to Tonga in 1773, 1774 and 1777. And uh, there are three voyages. That means there was a great impact in Tonga. But we were glad um, that this exhibition, after 250 years of his visit to Tonga and to the Pacific, will still have the impact because right now we are sitting here talking about Cook's voyage to the Pacific. I was so thankful to the, the library and the organizers giving us the opportunity to share with you, because it's bringing to us the language also, learning about English, noticing the words list that was given to us to, to say it. The spelling, most of it was in the English alphabet, because then in Tonga, there was no alphabet or structures language. So it was written in the English alphabet by, by the sound of the words. And we can pick that up. And, and th those are the things that we were so thankful that that's the impact. Now we sit back and look at it and we say, wow, that was happening those days. And now we can witness after 250 years, we still had that with us. And now it's been developed and we have a language in Tonga. But those days, it was recorded. And most of the items that we have seen here and witnessed have been brought from all over the world to be part of the exhibition. 
we were glad that one of the clubs that was given to Captain Cook by our Tamaha, the highest rank woman in Tonga, the sister of the two Tonga, was preserved because Cook took it and then brought for us. Um, over these years was to witness that we did have a civilization. We had government and governance because Tonga was already a kingdom then. And the Tuitonga ruled Tonga that time. So Cook was visiting and that time there was a kava ceremony or the Inasi, the presentation to the king. And he wasn't allowed to go in because it was taboo and sacred. <coughs> but he was given time that when the king visited, and we were also known uh, with the information that had been provided to us, that our king then was Pao, asking Cook, what are those maps, the geography of looking at the Pacific where Tonga stands? And we were glad that was already a system back home, mm. uh, being enhanced by the information that and 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 the things that Cook bring in to develop the system that we have now. And also um, thinking back. Christianity came in 1826 to Tonga, and we fought. Because the eastern side of the island, that's where the king then, the, the, the Tuitonga. But the western part was more the chief that Captain Cook met in his first voyage. And it seems like the missionaries were told when they came over to Tonga in 1826, to go to the western part because you might be welcome there more than try the western side or the, the eastern side. And so Christianity tried first in 1824 and wasn't accepted because it was in the eastern side. And when they tried in 1826 at the western side, they were accepted by the same chief that had um, the conversation and, and talk to Cook in his first voyage to Tonga. So Christianity were there, then it spread <coughs> all over Tonga. But that's still part of the impact of Cook, because we we think back on that from the high side. It might be from the channel and the reports that he came, that the missionaries came over to Tonga with that idea of where they're going to land and be part of of the community and be accepted there. Thank you very much. Maroilele, and my name is Toa Fulivai Chakiari. Um, still a name that here has paid our respect on behalf of the Ngunnawal people. Well, what can I say? I will, I will just try and look at it from a practical um, perspective about the impact that Cook um, had on our little, tiny little island. Um, I'm looking back at information and what I've read. One thing that came out clear to my mind was that Cook actually introduced um, to our people um, to become materialistic in a, in a good way. 
I would say. Uh, looking back at, uh, for example, the, the gifts that uh, one of the high chiefs received from Cook, um, a cloth, a, a beads, a, um, a shirt, a glass bowl. He kept the glass bowl and gave the rest back. And looking at it now, glass is viewed as something very precious in our culture. When we have a funeral, when we have a marriage, a wedding, the offerings, particularly when um, a funeral, the precious glass is actually given to to the people um, that uh, the deceased as a very um, precious gift. The other thing that I look at it, um, as Stella said, we already have a system in our own little kingdom, little tiny island. But one thing, the culture that we have then, that I still bring practice now, is giving. And I guess that's why Cook named Tonga the Friendly Islands. And we're known around the world as the Friendly Islands because of that, of their giving nature. But the giving were so much that they gave everything to Cook. They were going the canoe to the ship and gave the pigs, the yams, and baskets and baskets. This other chief comes along and he did the same thing. And then they were left with nothing. They all became hungry. So Cook showed them, you've got to keep this for tomorrow, keep this for next week. Whereas they just, they gave everything. And I see that still practicing now with our people. They tend just to give everything that they have and then worry about tomorrow. So I would say um, that influence that Cook um, had introduced them way back and it made them think and it made them also view foreign um, material things as precious. Uh, for example, their, their art and crafts, or the the, um, the the workmanship, the art workmanship that the Tongan had then, were just purely materials from within the island. So when Cook gave them beads and and other gifts, they viewed that as more superior than the perhaps the, the bandanas or the the coconut fiber that they were using in their weaving. So then they use the beads instead of the, um, you know, the, the coconut fiber and, and, and the shells and, and what they have then. So they use that, so the changes, the impact of the changes they cook, they have, you know, um, gone from having the all, all original everything Tonga to have foreign things now in, into their weaving. So, um, I would say that with Cook and his influence on our people are still, um, is still happening now. It, it is being practiced until now. The fabric that he gave, the material that he gave then to the chiefs, a red cloth. Red color is used in Tongan apart from 
foul flag is red, but they use red a lot. Everyone wears red when it's a, something to do special with time. And they use the fabrics even up to today for giving in weddings and gifts and, and um, you know, and other things that were, as I mentioned earlier, the, the glass. So uh, to me, it's still, it's very much very practiced from way back then. And sometimes you don't realize and you wonder where it all come from until you start reading things and you start doing some research and you realize the impact that this man had on our, on our island. It was, you know, it was, um, it, it's unreal, 250 years ago and I've been living, I've been living life and, and we've all been doing things and it started from him. He was the person who introduced all that to, to our, our people. Thank you. Thank you. First, I'd like to thank Tyrone for uh, welcoming us onto his country and paying my respects to the Gunnery people. My name is Vic Channel, I'm from Ulladulla, uh, Marmarine country. I'm a traditional Marmarine man. All my ancestors, my family background, uh, come from Marmarine area. Um, I think for myself, um, and I speak for a lot of my, my Marmarine people when I, when I speak, but. Uh, for us, it was a, a great deal of sorrow and sadness um, with the effects of uh, Cook's arrival. Um, Aboriginal people looked after our country for thousands and thousands of years. And uh, with the arrival of Cook, um, you know, there's a lot of desecration and a lot of sadness and harm that uh, was carried out through our people and through our country. So just the introduction of, you know, sickness and harm to our people and massacres that had occurred throughout our country and significant values and traditions that Aboriginal people held and carried for thousands of years. Um, to this day, we're still fighting very hard to get a lot of those traditions and values back. And it's been a, a long struggle and it's been a really hard battle. And I myself, I, I do a lot of cultural education and um, cultural tours and a lot of our sites are pretty, pretty daunting when we go there to do tours because of the effects of what's happened in that area. So I think whilst there was a lot of good things that, that happened from Cook's arrival, there's also a lot of bad that uh, followed on with it. And um, in saying that, I, I think, uh, yes, Australia wouldn't be what it is today if it wasn't from that arrival. But our people wouldn't be doing what they're doing now if it was.
firstly, on behalf of all Aboriginal people in Australia, I'd like to thank James Cook for finding us. To me personally, the thing is the fact that, and I don't know whether you can directly contribute this to James Cook, but someone's got to be blamed. Um, <laughs> on the East Coast, especially because it was the first place that was settled, um, we lost our language pretty much totally. Yeah, we um, pretty much lost um, our language totally and um, as my brothers and um, my sisters and my nephew would say to you, um, without language it's really difficult to completely understand your culture and its laws. Um, English is a poor substitute for the, the native language that we should be speaking and um, in a lot of cases there is no English word for the words that we might use especially when it comes to our ceremonial and um, spiritual acts that we would like to perform. And in a lot of cases, they've pretty much been lost. But due to the efforts of um, quite a number of people, our language is being brought back. Um, we're currently in Ulladulla. We will be um, running a language program for local Aboriginal people to relearn their language and hopefully pass that on down through the younger generations so that we have a better understanding of our own culture. It's hard and it's difficult to teach people about your culture if you don't have a full understanding of it yourself. Thank you. I'd like to throw it out to the audience. Does any, oh, there was a hand that went up very quickly over there. <laughs> uh, it's, it's just a question about oral so far, everything we've looked at has been. Um, oh, sorry. <laughs> Thanks very much. Uh, so far, everything we've looked at has been from the written tradition, from journals, from documents, from papers, maps, etc. Is there any, um, if you like, uh, stories that have drifted in? And, and I guess perhaps uh, Stella. And Noah might be able to comment on this because you came from a very self-contained area where oral tradition would have lasted, it might have even been started to be written down at the time of the missionaries, whereas in the case of Australia, you know, language was lost, oral traditions were lost. So was there anybody who said, well, look, I was there when Cook arrived and he wasn't such a big deal. He gave us some nails and then he went away and we weren't sure there was is there anything like that that still exists within your oral tradition that perhaps may have been written down by the missionaries? And, of course, this may have happened in, in Australia, but I doubt whether um, Lutheran missionaries would have recorded uh, um, the history, the oral history of Aboriginals. They were desperately trying to convert to um, another imaginary friend. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I think up to mind, there is a, and, and I guess this is just a, an interpretation or, or looking at the story. When Cook came over uh, in one of his visits, uh, as I mentioned before, the Cook, uh, the king then was Bao, and there was a there was a competition in Samoa, and he wanted to have a, a head 
gear um, to make it different from, from the rest of the chiefs or, or probably the kings around the Pacific those days. And he asked this uh, man to make it, and he did. And it was taken by book back and now it's in, um, in the museum in Vienna. But then he was given the name to this family of Helu uh, or Tuitonga, and that means the calm, or almost like it's the ground for the king. Then there was no ground because after Cook and coming over, then we'll start looking at a different uh, kind of system because the kings in Tonga don't have ground then. But then that family keep on, it's almost like a tradition because that family thought it's almost like a blessing to them for making that because the king was so high, no commoner or a lower ranked person will make something for his head. Uh, but was given a blessing, that family, they are very intelligent. And he's descendants of that man who made that piece. It's known in Tonga. Uh, for that, um, for the, the, their children and grandchildren, they are so intelligent and smart. And, and people just saluted to that it was like a blessing that was given by the king. Because then those days, Tonga was looking at the king as the divine uh, being. Um, unless with, uh, until the impacts of Cook also, um, then people start realize that we are all human <laughs> beings. Um, and there was those change too in how we look at that structure of a class system back home. Even it still exists now, kings, nobility, uh, and commoners, oh, and then slaves those days, was more people start to move towards that polishing that then slowly develop to what we have now. And, and I guess that this an impact, even if it wasn't really written uh, of how that's impact on the society. Um, later on, there was that liberation because even we were colonized, we were under the protection of, of, of the British government. But more the liberation was from that system of people being serfs and, and slaves to our nobility and our king. And, and that is an impact. But as I say, that, that's one of the traditions that almost like it's held that most when we say to, that's from the Helu family, because they say Helu, the comb that you put on your hair, they said, oh yeah, that, that, that's the smart and intelligent family in Tonga, and people can connect with it because they have done that part for the king, and almost it was a divine blessing was given them. Um, I'd just like to make a comment. Um, from the journals, there is no um, oral history that was passed down uh, through the generations from the Kupiyamatawara people. And it was only from the journals that we learned that um, it was almost three weeks before contact was made uh, between the Kukiyamatha people and Cook. And it was on the, um, it was initiated by our Kukiyamatha people. 
But one of the interesting things that I've found written, um, my uncle always talked about a Dreamtime story about Balkarunko and Milkandor, who were believed, Balkarunko being uh, a Wawaru and Milkandor being a, a plover. And it was believed that uh, our two ancestors came from the west to the east. They settled in Kupimba country. But when their spirit died, it traveled to the east. And it was always in the belief system of our people that our ancestors would return. And it was believed that uh, when they returned, they would be, um, they would have white skin and that they would come with a hand of plenty. Now, the missionaries recorded that, and it, is, it was uh, in, in a context where he was trying, the missionary was trying to uh, preach uh, about the conception of, the, of a God to our people. And they said, oh, we already know God. You know, we already know that. Um, and uh, we already know. Because a lot of the old folks, I remember my grandfather and older people saying, we already knew about God before the missionaries came. So my point is this, that when Cook came into the Endeavour River, our people would have observed them very closely. They would have observed everything they did. And they would have determined, by the end of those, those three weeks, they would have determined what would have, uh, that these may not be our ancestors returning. So that's when contact was made. And um, I found that to be very interesting because um, later on, uh, when the gold rush started, our people, uh, the, uh, the protector, Walter Roth, he mentions in his journals that our people were still awaiting the return of their ancestors. And they were wondering why all these people coming into Cooktown and, uh, and the surrounding areas, you know, why weren't they recognising them as their relatives? So in that, con in that context, you know, we're still waiting for our uh, the return of our, our of our ancestors, and they still haven't returned. So, uh, because there's no one coming, you know, with the hand of plenty. But um, I thought that was very interesting. That was one thing that we sort of determined um, from uh, the Cook's journals and uh, matching it with cultural knowledge. Um, we are an oral history people, so um, we didn't write too much down. But <laughs> if you watch Sam Neill's show, they spoke to a lady in Cooktown and spoke about song lines and explained how song lines work. And, and she described it as such as uh, a spider web over the whole of Australia. And if you look at a spider web, it starts on one side and goes all the way to the other side. 
So my belief is that when James Cook was off the coast of um, what's known now as Bally Point or Marmarine, and he saw the Aboriginal people on the beach with their fire, probably cooking some fish, <clears throat> and he saw um, what he called Pigeon House, which we call Dithel, which is um, our most sacred site, which loosely translates as the breast of Mother Earth, that our people already knew about these huge canoes with the clouds or water sails. And that would have happened through the song lines. And I guess the people of Cooktown would have probably already had stories about these large boats with the white sails because the song lines spread from one side to the other. And, it, 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 and they're telling about that area um, and the things that they knew about. So I think it was Tupau who drew the Aboriginal bloke in a canoe who was taking no notice to the endeavour that was um, anchored in Botany Bay or Sydney Harbour. That's because he already knew about it. So you don't have to write history down to know about it. Um, one of the strongest traditions we have in our people that's still there is teaching our young people about who we are and who certain people are within our family. We call it who's who in the zoo. <laughs> um, and that's a, that's a law thing. It's a, to protect against um, hooking up, as they say today, <laughs> um, with somebody that you shouldn't be. So um, that still exists. And it doesn't matter where I've been in Australia or New South Wales, that tradition is still there. And it's not written down. It's all up here. better to address everybody in accordance to our, our culture. Kia ora everybody. Ko titirangi te maunga, ko waiau te awa, ko tāki tima te waka, ko kahununi te iwi, ngā tangatarangi te hapū, ko rangi āhua te marae. Tēnā te whakapapa i te tāho ki tōko pāpa. Ko ko rārenga te maunga, ko whāngawehi te awa, ko kura hoko te waka, ko ronga mawahine te wahine a tāhua, ki te mahia, ko tuahuru te marae, ko ihaka katoa hau. So I talk about my sacred mountain on my father's side, which is Titirangi. I talk about the sacred river that flows through that land, um, Waio, and all the creeks and streams that flow down to it, like the veins that supplies the blood through your body. And I talk about my the waka, the canoe that my ancestors travelled from, Hawaii Nui, Hawaii Roa, Hawaii Paumama, the faraway place, and landed in Aotearoa, the land of the long white cloud, commonly known as New Zealand. <laughs> and we talk, I talk about my marae, my ancestral house, um, Tamatarangi, which, which is in a place called Rangiahua, 
a beautiful place in Tewaidoa, which is um, in, in the Kahunun area, Hawke's Bay area of the North Island. That's, my that's on my father's side. On my mother's side, I talk about that sacred moment, <coughs> I talk about the Moana, Whangawehi. Um, you know, the sacred river that flows through that land. My Nawaka on my, on my mother's side. I talk about that. I talk about my marae and the beautiful lady that resided there, my ancestor, Lungu Mawahine, in, in an area, a settlement called Mahia, which is little settlements uh, not far from a place called Gisborne, or which was known as Turanganui Akiwa. Uh, and then when Captain Cook uh, landed there, he named it Poverty Bay, because he had nothing that he wanted or needed. So, a beautiful place, Mahia. I was actually born in Gisborne, Tūranganui uh, Akiwa. And uh, I remember when I was 10 years old, 1969, they celebrated 150 years of Captain Cook landing in, uh, in, in, the, in the bay where I was born. And uh, young Nick sighted Aotearoa uh, from there. And from, from that place is where Captain Cook landed. Now, as the panel has said, there's been um, you know, a bit of controversy or has two sides of a story. Luckily for me, um, I, have, I have genes in my body. Uh, I'm Maori and I'm also Irish. And in, in jest, one part of me wants to have a beer, the other part doesn't want to pay for it. <laughs> uh, but so I have two cultures that I know of, know of in me. And um, listening to the panel, panel, they have very, very, um, very good points. And I was sitting up there listening to everyone else. I think I'm, I'm hoping that I might be able to stand it sometime and add a little bit of, of value. I think. And there's a controversial side of it all, all as well, which the panel has outlined. And I acknowledge Tyrone as well um, for you know. Um, allowing, as I did last night, and have always in the past, I've been able to um, come to this, this country, and uh, I came here for a three-week holiday in 1976. <laughs> I've got a week to go. <laughs> All my children were born here, I met my wife here, I, I love it here in Australia, I love it, I love it in Aotearoa, New Zealand as well. I have two homes, and uh, I love being, I'm proud of who I am and where I come from. And um, my grandfather, just for instance, a Pākehā. He was, he was a Pākehā, you know, he was a, what we call an Englishman. And he married my queer, a prominent lady from Marangiahua's side. And he grew up to love the Māori people. And he grew up that well to love the Māori people that he spoke the language. Fear like my son, he's sitting up the back there, blue eyes, and um, I haven't got any of that. But, um, so, my queer, my elder, she found a balance between how she felt about what happened in her land and how she feels about where she is at that time. And, uh, you yeah, know, we could talk about land disposition and, and all sorts of things, you know, cultural. Um, I'm not fluent in Te Māori, but I am competent. And a result of that was when my parents were younger, they were scolded or punished 
to speak in Māori when, when they were at school. Uh, so when they, when they met, grew up and met and had children, they decided not to teach our children, their children our native language because they didn't want them to go through what they went through. And uh, however, here I am this time, at, uh, my, this time of my, my life, teaching young ones to speak their language. Because uh, even though I missed out, doesn't mean to say others should. And uh, I just want to wanted to add a little bit of little bit of that um, to to the conversation. I was born I was born in Tiranga, so I grew up there. And Maori are I suppose looked at as a minority, but they're very proud of who they are in that particular place, and indeed all around Aotearoa. Because the languages, there's a big resurgence of the language because of you know they're, they're, no matter what people still wanted to speak their language, no matter what. My parents just had a different outlook and um, they just wanted their children to have a try and uh, assimilate. But when you assimilate, you also hunger for what you, you know, what you belong to as an indigenous people. And uh, I'm, I'm very lucky to come to another, another country feeling proud about who I am, where I come from, and because my nieces, my nephews, and other New Zealanders, and not necessarily entirely New Zealanders. We have, last night when we performed, we had a full-blooded full Australian girl, the, the, the tall, fair girl at the back. And as I said, there was a lot of different colours here, so a lot of different cultures, because we've now intermarried into other cultures, but those cultures still want to know who they are and where they, where they come from. So I just want to acknowledge the panel Acknowledge Susanna and, and everybody else here because I've learned so much since being involved um, with this exhibition and coming here and to be able to listen and, and I just think it's really great. So, kia ora tata kato. of English, um, hints of different perspectives about the different impacts on different cultures on the introduction of, for want of a better word, white-fellow technology, glass, beads and so on. I'm just interested particularly if, if any of the panel members can expand a little bit on the good and bad of the impacts of Christianity for their particular cultures. <laughs> um, well, my great uncle was actually a pastor on my Aboriginal side, but he also had held a lot of Aboriginal knowledge and, and he obviously passed it on as much as he could. So, him as an individual was able to separate because they don't really go together. Uh, Christianity and Aboriginality, uh, our spirituality, are. are 
pretty different. But then if you read the Bible, it's actually a whole set of laws. And, and we work under a whole set of laws. That's, that's how we work. So in some ways they're totally different. In some ways they're, they're almost identical. But when I look at my great uncle, I can see that they can live together. I am not a Christian, but my wife is. And we've lived together for 30 years and we're still both alive, so I can have it. But yeah, he's the greatest example. I don't know whether it answers your question completely, but they can live side by side because my uncle Bob was uh, not just a renowned elder within the community where he lived, but he was for the whole coast. And everyone knew who he was. He was the first Aboriginal magistrate, the first Aboriginal JP. He lived in Jervis Bay, so he was actually driven by limousine to Canberra and made a magistrate. He was the first Aboriginal mission manager. So he had a lot of hats and he, he was, I guess, that clever a man that he could separate. He could take one hat off, put the other hat on. He could go to church and, and preach or whatever it is the pastors do in church. But then he was also able to teach Aboriginal culture and hand it down to, you know, his, his kids are very cultural. My, they're my cousins, obviously, but they're very, very cultural. And they're half and half as far as Christianity goes. Some of them are churchgoers and some, some of them aren't. So I don't know whether that helps. Yes, I, uh, for, for myself as a Tongan, uh, looking back at the history of uh, Cook when he arrived in Tonga, um, at the time they were worshipping uh, all sorts of books and uh, what they used to do when somebody got sick they would cut the finger there were so many of them with loose fingers they cut the fingers and and offer it to God uh, to what they believed was God then so that um, that the sick would be healed or the illnesses would be healed so of course uh, the the door opened up for the, the missionaries came after Cook and then they introduced the Christianity and the Tongans must have had a very receptive hearts because they started changing their ways and, and uh, started uh, doing things different and praying to what they believed then was the believed to be the true God. And uh, in 1875, when the Tongan constitution was written, uh, my great-grandfather was one of the five people who had uh, witnessed and wrote that the, the Constitution, and that Constitution was based on the Bible principles, which is what we live into until now. Um, we have, everything is guided by the, the principles found in the Bible. And I would say the, the I guess the, the, the negative part of, I wouldn't say negative, I, a lot of young people, I was talking to my son about Captain Cook and, and the first thing he said to me, I, I, he, he did a lot of naughty things and um, he did this, he did that. But for me, uh, looking back at our culture, he really had a lot of influence. He, his arrival in Tonga had a, a lot of influence in our culture. Um, that we, uh, whether we like it or not as Tongans, we are, we are practicing it. We, 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 we're doing everything um, with our offerings and our culture and, and, and our gifts and our material, our possession, everything was stemmed from, from that time. 
um, <coughs> um, our language is called Yemitha. And um, it was the first language to have been documented by the first on the first uh, Endeavour voyage. Parkinson wrote a word list of 150 words. So when the missionaries arrived, I first arrived in Cooktown, that was um, in the late 18s, 1870s, um, when our people were dispersed, dispossessed from their country. The missionaries who were going to New Guinea saw the sad state that our people were in. So they set about um, creating a, a mission or an outpost for, uh, for our people. Uh, not everyone responded to the, to the mission um, and not everyone came in. But it did become a place where uh, it, it was a, a haven and a refuge and the missionaries used, they learnt the language and they used the language to Christianise. And if it wasn't for the fact that they did Christianise in the local language, our language would not have survived. Uh, they not only uh, learnt the language, they introduced a writing system. Our, our, our older people, they became very proficient in writing in English, they became very proficient in writing in, um, in, in language as well. So up until uh, World War II, when um, our people were very uh, much Christianised and they all lived by very strong Christian principles, as it was a Lutheran mission, uh, Lutheran mission, and the Lutherans are very tough, and it's very, um, it was embedded, embedded in our whole Hupiamuthan uh, society, uh, and it still is today. But as I was saying before, our people already had a belief system that was similar to Christianity. They had the same. As it was said before, they had the same principles in their laws based on what the Bible said. Uh, our people didn't uh, worship any particular God, but there were places of sacredness that uh, provided uh, the necessary things for life. So um, Christianity did have an effect on our people in the fact that one, it, uh, it maintained our language. Hukiyamuthet is one of the uh, only 20 strong languages today and it was only because of the Lutheran, uh, the Lutheran missionaries learning it and Christianising it that it has survived today. Thank you. I think I will just follow up. No, no, no. Mm -hmm. what Dora was saying about um, answering the question about Christianity. Uh, I, from what I understand myself in growing up in Tonga, the big influence of, of Christianity, and it shows in education, because when it was, I think wherever they start to have a church or a mission, school was always established to help support that where they can use this as a tool to educate people about the Bible. 
and uh, because in my village that's where um, Christianity was tested, uh, our chief Arthur was uh, calling the people together, the chiefs and said, oh, there is a new God being brought into the country. Um, so he said, take him to the reef, and if he can stop the sea or the water, the high tide coming in, <laughs> then we can think twice about that God. <laughs> and they did. They took him um, to the reef, and uh, it's, it's uh, well known back home that he, uh, John to Thomas was the missionary, bring his umbrella and he kneeled down and he marked it and the tide was just coming and stopped before. Well, well that, that's the, the story. <laughs> and he was praying and then the chief said, then bring him then, the God he brings. It must be the true God. So they bring him and then he gave them a piece of land in our village and that is the first mission missionary house and it's still up to now and then just across there he had a school and he called it Nazareth and we were just thinking that he named it after where Jesus grew up so that school was the first school that established back in Tonga but that's more to teach people about the Bible and we can see that's the influence of Christianity and even though it were persecution people were spread out in small island but I think it's easier because we only have one language so it's easier for us to, to have the communication until George to vote the first then it was him who bring together and for those of you who were here last night in the launch the cover ceremony and, and, and the movements of the cover ceremony it's the story because it wasn't reported in writing or anything uh, some of it by John Thomas in his journal. But the story in the song itself, it's telling the story of how King George the I bringing in the, the north and the south of the island and bring them together and have the constitution that Thor was talking about, established with the help of the missionaries. And, and that's how Tonga comes up to now. So education and modernity was bringing around in the time of, and then we move on from that as we all know. We move from industrial, uh, industrial time, now we are in technology and stuff, and we're gonna move on, and, and that's part of the involvement of, of, of humans. But we were kept in to understand about more about what's going on in the world when the impacts of Cook and then Christianity follows, bringing us of what's happened around the world and there were a lot of things that's lost within also but there were a lot of good things too that's happened um, especially with reporting of, of things and another great impact we are people who are who love to sing and dance so the Tongans are very good at singing because when Christianity came over well just transformed the use of our tongues and our songs to appease our God or our King to God in Christianity. So we have nights of sing along and dance and joy and people can just start a song and people can just pick a part. And that was a big influence by Christianity. 
and we sing together and harmonize. Generation before they got hit and they got whacked 
so that had, mum would go to school and speak English or get hit for speaking Māori and then go home to her mother and her grandmother and be te reo Māori. So by the time we came along, it was best in, our, they, in their interest <coughs> best for us just to learn English and not to learn te reo. And so we're that generation, it could be kind of a lost of the language. So and later in my life, I'm learning and you, I don't think you'd ever stop learning and you can't stop learning, otherwise, you know, when you stop learning, you're dead, really. Mm -hmm. I think that's what it is. <laughs> and we have just finally, we have something we call a kite mātauranga. Now, mātauranga is our knowledge, and a kite is the bag we carry. So as you go through life, you get this knowledge, and you keep putting it into your kite, but you have to give it away. You have to keep giving it out to people all the time, whether it's your little nephews, or whether it's um, something like we did this morning. So, you know, Numa and I both here from Te Papa, and I think we're is a world leader in that we run a bicultural museum. So it's bicultural in terms of Māori and European runners. And um, so what drives our work every day is that fact that we are, you know, we are bicultural. We have our mana taonga concept that we talked about this morning. We have all those drivers that are in our, our museum system, but they're also in our family system. Our whānau at home are very strong. I've got two nephews, three and four, who've got the reo, because they go to a place called Tapuna reo, and Tapuna is like a pool, and it's a pool of learning for them. So they get taught up until seven, the language, and all our customs. So they come home to us, and they're doing, they do the karakia for the prayer before they have their food every time. They take their shoes off at the door, so they're learning our ways, the ways of our people that are embedded, so that when these kids get out into life, and get out into that big world, they have that base, they still have that core of who they are. So I think it's important when we think of all the, uh, the influences that Cook has had on us, uh, or had on his discoveries around the world, because it's like another colonist coming into another country and taking over. But, you know, I think in New Zealand we were very fortunate, or Aotearoa, that we signed a treaty, because that's been our redress that we've been able to go back on and to keep who we are today, and it's still ongoing. I mean, we've, the herd's still there, but we've moved past that herd. We, a lot of us have moved past the herd. And we've done that through art, we've done it through kapahaka, we've done it through all these different fields on how we can actually um, take what they bought with us, adapt it to us, and then put it back out there into our Māori. Thank you. <laughs> like to make a, 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 a mention to which I didn't mention earlier uh, about the, the real effect of Christianity it had on our people. Um, as I mentioned when our constitution uh, was formed in 1875 by King the I um, and he had his uh, nobles, um, uh, the other four uh, people <coughs> were part of forming it, he actually kneeled down and picked up a handful of soil and he put it up and he gave uh, it to, to God. He prayed and said, this is Tonga I'm giving to you to be under your protection. So that's how far the, their beliefs at the time um, in Christianity and uh, that's the, the impact on... And in our mother. Yes, God yeah, God, uh, uh, my inheritance. So um, it's amazing but uh, you know, that's how the, the impact of the uh, way back then, the, the court, the missionaries had on our people. 
Thank you very much to all our panellists and thank you to our audience for your fantastic questions. Please join me in giving everyone here the for the library to allow us to tell our story. But I, can't, I won't elaborate too much, but I do have quite a bit of information here if anybody's interested in learning more about the history and all of the things that happened. And also, we're planning a 48-day festival in 2020, which is the time that Cook was in at the Endeavour River. And they're themed weekends. It's not like full-on 48 days. But if you'd like to go to the Cooktown 2020 website, you'll find a lot of information there. <coughs> We've got a little bit of funding, but all we're waiting for is a little bit more funding to um, bring these events about. But the one of the major things that we want to do is to commemorate the little old man who first did the reconciliation with Captain Cook and we have identified the site where we believe the reconciliation took place and um, <coughs> we want to make it into a, a, a spiritual parkland area where people can sit and just contemplate the significance of that. And another, moving on to another <coughs> significant thing is the fact that the kangaroo was first sighted at the Endeavour River too. I know a lot of people probably don't know that but um, it was first sighted there. And there were many other things that happened, but as I said, I have information. If you'd like to um, come and see me at Smogo, we'll have a chat or, or I can give you some more stuff. Mm -hmm.